All right, Inappropriate Earl is back in quarantine. Uh, we've done a few episodes lately uh, about vigilantism in the neighborhood and uh, uh, the few people who come over to my house during quarantine, Fifi Dosh. A groundbreaking episode, I must say. I've never had someone come on as a male and then on their return visit is a functioning female. So, uh, Joe Rogan, I'm coming for you. And now... I have one of my favorite people in comedy, and I really mean this. He's someone I wish I was closer with, but you know, you just have different circuits and, and whatnot. Uh, he has a new comedy album out that I originally had a problem with because I thought it said Daddy Man. And I was like, man, that's trademark infringement. But it's Dandy Man, available on Spotify, iTunes, uh, other streaming venues. He's one of the funniest dudes I know. He's also one of the nicest people I know, and those two in stand-up comedy don't often mix. Mr. Stuart Thompson, welcome back. Oh, good to be back. Nice to see you, Earl. It, it is nice to see you. Like, yeah, it's you, you know, I, you're someone who I used to see almost every day, and and now I don't see anyone every day. I mean, it's a it's a rare event. So I'm uh, I'm really grateful to be here, and thanks for having me on. Oh, dude, I've always been a big fan of yours, and uh, like I said, I, I wish I saw more of you, uh, but, you know, I guess we run in different, uh, I don't know, rooms. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I kind of stick to the store and maybe a few road gigs here and there. You travel the, the Northern California area, because you're from there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was born in San Francisco, and I grew up all over the Bay Area, and I've been... You know, I think the way I think friendship is, and and you know, the people in our lives, it's a, it's a very temporal thing. You know, things, you know, things changed for me after I stopped working at the comedy store, and then I, you know, kind of just took the opportunity to go change my scenery, and it allowed me to travel. It's allowed me to travel all over the world to do comedy, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think you're proof that life exists outside of the comedy store, uh, which, <laughs> you know, a lot, myself included, uh, you know, sometimes you get in that bubble of the store is the end-all, be-all, and, you know, there's nothing else outside of those uh, yeah. many walls. And, uh, well, if they're showing you love, then, like, you know, you can't argue with that. And, you know, I, I would, you know, I still have a relationship with the club. I mean, it's it's definitely not been a place that I've been... I haven't been spending my time there lately just because, you know, no one's really going anywhere uh, if we can help it. Um, but I have been... You know, it, it does hold a, a, a place in my heart as far as, like, my comedy development was concerned. I worked there for almost five years. Yeah, I mean, you were... Uh up there in the uh were you there when Tommy was still there? Yeah. Yeah, he it was it was kind of 50-50. You know, it was half the t the first half was Tommy was the talent coordinator and then Adam was the talent coordinator for the second half. And let me tell you, being the talent coordinator at any club is awful. I don't envy it. I I mean, I thought, well, if Adam ever leaves, I'd like to do it cuz I respect comedy. You think so? Well, I, I <laughs> I respect comedy so much, I know I would do a good job, or at least I think I would, but when I see what he goes through, uh, you know, just people constantly complaining about lack of spots, and 
and well you don't put enough women on the lineup well you don't put enough uh minorities on the lineup it's like i think half the people he's passed have been either women uh a minority gay yes a uh, person from a marginalized uh demographic so yeah. uh you know he's passed very few like say older white males I, I mean i'm probably the oldest person he's passed yeah, I mean, aside, I think aside from the people who are like already famous, right? I would, I would agree for sure. Uh, but I, I'm almost curious as to how it would work. Say, but I'd still want to do stand up. So that I think, I don't think you can do both. I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what's possible and what's not possible. It's seeing folks like Tommy and Adam go through it was not those. That was not a good advertisement for being talent coordinator and seeing other bookers go through it, you know, sometimes I would get in my head all so frequently how like, I felt like I wasn't getting uh, the attention I felt I had earned or deserved, you know, all these things that we make up, I, oh, I would sure. make up in my head. And, you know, then I would go, you know, I'd happen to see a talent coordinator for a club in their office and then, and there'd be, thousands of emails yeah thousands of text messages unanswered thousands of voicemails that they're like yeah i mean i i wish i could get to them but there's not enough minutes in a lifetime to get to all this stuff yeah it's, and so you just a lot of it's you know uh, uh you know luck and timing and you know just trying to be a decent person and you know, just you know, focusing on what I can focus on, which is just writing these jokes and getting the experience. And for me, that was after I stopped working at the store, and even towards the end of my tenure there, it was traveling and trying my material in other parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, the store is like the probably the top club in the country, so everyone wants to be in there, or want people who are in there, whatever in there means, they want. Well, yeah, everyone. Everyone's idea of in there is different because, you know, I, you know, I would admire and, you know, have like some wishful thinking to be in someone like your position, right? You know, because, you know, uh, and or even the person who's going up at one thirty on a on a Saturday night in the original room, it would be you know someone who, you know, I think that's someone who you were at some point, and maybe sometimes you get those late spots still, but. You know, but then when you're at one thirty, you want to go go for the guy who's going or gal is going at midnight. Oh, absolutely. And then you want at that eleven o'clock spot, and then you want to get in that, you know, that nine thirty to eleven sort of peak time when there's probably the most people in the room, the crowd is the most lively. It's um, and then then there's people who are jealous of someone like me. Yeah. Who has some relationship, and they might not have it at all. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I remember uh, the night I got past Hinchcliffe. I said to him just what you said. I mean, dude, I'll be happy with a Wednesday 1 a.m. spot. And Tony was with Jesus Trejo, and they both looked at me and goes, if you do get past, that attitude will change in about a month. You'll want two spots. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone, you know, we, we reach these moments of growth and plateauing where we just keep going. You know, we reach... We grow, and then we're like, "Oh, this is nice. We're comfortable with it." Sure. And then we're, and then we start to stagnate, and then we it becomes our normal, and we expect these things that we're previously comfortable with. Right, which is why I admire you for hitting the road so much, and 
Thank you. you. You know, you told the best Robin Williams story. I'm sure you're sick of telling the story, but I had never heard it before. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'm honestly, it's not something I'm sick of telling just because it was so impactful and it happened so early in my career that it feels like, you know, some people talk about with, you know, chasing the dragon with whatever their passion is, whether it's, <laughs> whether their passion is heroin <laughs> or it's, or it's something else. But like that, do, it is a chasing the dragon moment for me. The fact that I got to meet Robin uh, at the time that I did. Which was five shows in to your comedy career? Mm, or did, I, I, thought I was said, less than a year in. Oh, okay. I was, I think I was maybe 11 months in. And I, but I had in that, in that first year I was I started March 09 but in 2009 I think I was on stage maybe 12 times and so this might have been it was in the first 20 for sure and like he's I mean he's an icon everywhere but especially in Northern California which I believe is he started with Rob Schneider, uh, the great Larry Bubbles Brown. Who <laughs> yeah. I am. Oh, you know, you know Larry? I am obsessed with Larry <laughs> Bubbles Brown. I did one show with him when I was opening up for Schneider and, uh -huh. and Cobbs. And okay. I, it, it was intimidating because he was so funny. Yeah. And I just, I'm sure we both know probably, I want, I don't know if I would say dozens, but a lot of people like him. Like, how is this guy not famous? Oh yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of people like that. There's people who are comics who are like I wish were more well known, and I do try to, you know, name drop people when people say like, "Hey, who's someone you really like right now?" And I try to tell people about comics that are not as well known. Right. You know, I think uh, I think Larry is probably one of the quintessential examples of that. Well, I think after talking with him backstage, I started to realize he just was like. I'm happy here. I don't want to move to LA. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think Letterman invited him on one of his last shows. Yes. Which, that's the story. Like, to me, because I love Letterman, you know, I gravitate toward the darker and sure. more. I don't want to say Letterman's bitter, but like. He has that snark. Yes. That other talk shows don't, talk show hosts don't necessarily have. Versus like a Leno who's a little more hat, golly gee. Sure. Uh, and I sit there and go, you passed up being on. And he might have said it was the last Letterman. Like, was, that's crazy. It was in that, like, that goodbye tour last couple weeks from what I heard. I don't know if it was the last night. But, yeah, I, whenever I go up to perform at Rooster Tea Feathers in Sunnyvale in the South Bay, almost without fail, I will see Larry one of the <laughs> nights. And I, I, don't, I don't think he's there to see me. I think he just wants something to do. And he'll yeah. just kind of hang out and say hey and chat with the staff and there's a lot of comics in the bay area who are super funny and a lot of them are you know super lucky to have really nice day jobs or they have an, a like a, a rent controlled apartment in san francisco and I, I i wouldn't be surprised if you know larry kind of fell into that category uh himself and you know i'm like someone from down here like i see in that same category as like a brian holtzman like it's completely sure. different. Style. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I Brian Holtzman is a is a beautiful mystery to me. I, <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, to all of us. He he's soup. He's always been kind to me, and I I love watching him work because he's so different from what I do. You know, he just this utter vitriol uh, spewing out of every pore of his body, 
and <laughs> off stage you couldn't be a kinder human being. Yeah. Uh, but like when you got to the store, like what made you want to go? Like for some reason, I just wanted to start there, which was probably a mistake to want to start at the store. Uh huh. Like, was it you? Like in Northern California, do people talk about the store? Like, if you go to LA, that's where you want to be at. Um, not really. I so like I said, I started in two thousand nine while I was in college, and I was exploring more and more about it. And po- I was very lucky that podcasts were becoming a thing as this was happening. And I happened to listen to those uh, Mark Marin episodes with like Mencia and Robin Williams that kind of like gave me a little bit of a glimpse of it, but it they didn't really advertise the store so much. Marin still had a kind of a fraught relationship with the club. So he wasn't talking it up the way he might now. Right. Um, and, but I would listen to other podcasts and everyone kept talking up UCB. Okay. And because that was kind of when UCB was hitting uh, a really great stride um, and was becoming more well-known. So I, I just knew I had to be in Los Angeles to kind of soak up any of that, that higher octane comedic flavor. Sure. So I, I managed to find an internship program here in Los Angeles that would help you find an internship in a field that you were interested in. So I ended up getting an internship at National Lampoon on Sunset. Okay. When they were when they were there, and it was not the National Lampoon of you know Van Wilder fame uh, of like uh, of Thank Animal God. House fame. This was a National Lampoon that was kind of reconnoitering what it wanted to be as a company, and but I did get to write comedy for them for their website and i did get to uh you know connect with someone who i'm still you know who i still talk to uh you know 10 years later and so i but i ended up doing a a bringer show at the comedy store nothing wrong with that uh it was a show that uh that dave Berger was running uh i know you I gotta think you know Burger, an iconic figure in the comedy store laurels. A, dis- a distinct figure, no, uh, for sure. Distinct is a good word. Yeah, and I and I and I would still run into Burger through the years, but you know Burger ran this show in the main room, and I was like, oh, okay, it's and I had done some shows in L.A. and a lot of them were Burger shows, in a way, you know, in the way that like I didn't really know the difference between that and any other show, so I, I do, go do the show, I you know try to invite some people. I meet uh, some people who are part of the comedy store to a degree mm-hmm. um, and, you know, ver- of varying degrees. And when I was sitting in the green room, the iconic green room of the main room. Oh, it's legendary. Yeah, you know, with the glass Richard Pryor, you know, Coke table that looks like a piano. And, you Still know, just there. All the, you know, just the black, patent, shiny, everything and the red lights. Someone pops in and says, hey, Louie's in the OR. And I didn't know what OR meant. Right. And I knew they meant Louis C.K., but I didn't know what OR meant. So I'm like, oh, my God, is he okay? <laughs> like he was getting, he was in the hospital or something. And they're like, no, dummy, it's the other showroom. And so I, I leave the main room and go through the labyrinth and find my way to the back of the OR where I would go on to hang out many a time to watch the show, not in the room, but just in the hallway. And I saw Louis C.K., working on whatever he was working on. He was also skyrocketing to fame. This was 2010. So, yeah, it was almost 10 years ago to the day. Uh, I saw, and I'm like, huh, 
maybe I should hang out here more. Right. And Scandal noted with Louis uh, for sure. Like I, I understand that you know he's he's done some things that you know people are not nece- that don't appreciate people don't appreciate that, and I am I totally get it. But at the time, this the building felt uh, alluring. The sure. whole, as like a living organism with like a gravitational pull. That's how it felt to me. It was dark and creepy and mystical and cool all at the same time. And those are four things that I've never really attributed to myself. And yet I was still attracted. Sure. I mean, I think that's what makes it such a... Uh, I often say it's like the bar in Star Wars. It's like so many different characters of... It is, it is like the cantina for sure. It's just, uh, you know, every bounty hunter was that. I know it's a fake movie, but like, uh, I've often looked at the store and you've seen like nicer comics like you. You've seen then, uh, you know, comics, more uh, bitter, sarcastic comics like me. (laughs) Although I will say I'm more honest and bitter, but that's another story. Uh, (laughs) You know, you've got stuff like the Ding Dong Show. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, benefits for cancer. Like, it's so many different energies. Yeah, you could have, you know, the, the paid regular show with, like, a bringer show before that. You could have, like, an Armenian benefit... And then Dave Attell's Comedy Underground, and then two random shows in the belly room, one of which could be Roast Battle, all in the same night. Yes, let's not forget Roast Battle. It's a little show that could. Yeah, it is is a little show that could. And uh, there's there's so much... It felt like I was... Every time I I perform at the comedy store, I feel like I'm performing to the world. Yeah, it just just has an energy that I've never felt in another room. Uh, Yeah, it's... um, I attribute it to like it's like warming up or working out with wrist and ankle weights on. Cause, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because there is something that feels like you have to you have to swing harder to get that same punch in the especially in the original room. And when I go elsewhere, have you know, it feels like I'm taking the wrist and ankle weights off. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, especially. Like guys like you and me, you know, just because of our, I don't want to say lack of fame, but like, you know, we're at the end of the lineup usually just because, I don't know, of the lineups that are there, you have to swing twice as hard just because mm-hmm. they've heard every joke. They've Yeah, if you're going up at one o'clock in the morning, yeah, people have, people feel like and look like they've looked at all of comedy in a single night. They've seen the entire history yeah. of entertainment in one evening. They've heard every Trump joke, every, you know, uh, I'm sure when it comes back, they'll by midnight, 1230, they'll hear every COVID joke. Yeah. Hey, what did you guys do during the pandemic? And so if you go on past a certain point, you have to be so strong as a comic and so leather-skinned mm-hmm. uh, that it does help you when you go outside of the store bubble. Yeah. Whether it be the road or Where, comedy festival or Yeah, or even just taking that into an acting career or a writing career, it's you know, there's a um yeah, there's a thick skinnedness that is that it really lasts. I, I and I got the opportunity to get to go up at various points during the paid regular show because I was working there at a time when the comedy store went from being not popular to being really popular. Yeah. So I got a taste of what would happen when a comedian would r- on the show would run late and no one else was there, and I was there to work in the room. So we're like, all right, it's you, man. That's what the point of this place is. 
So I've gotten to go. I've gotten to open the show. I've gotten to go up at the end of the show. I've even got to go up in that that peak hour at like ten o'clock or nine thirty. That's the best. And it's it's scary, but if you know it require you know it requires a certain amount of acceptance, and you know just allowing allowing that allowing that ownership to take hold and it's like no I belong here. Yeah, oh yeah, you definitely do. It doesn't matter if I'm wearing the shirt and it looks like I'm working there. It doesn't matter if I'm a little unkempt. I'm here for a reason and I am going to do the best I can with this time that I have. Yeah, I think when you started working there that was a big change of okay, we just can't hire anyone. They have to be as funny as this guy and and some of the other comics. Like you like really I in in your like the your class sure you not call it a class an official yeah it's it's so it's so fluid you know like there was the Renazizi class when he was there and sure uh, I I think you guys started yours was the first class is that all right we we just can't hire anyone here yeah I think they had realized that the uh, the the hazing kind of mentality was. <laughs> coming to an end and in the way that it had existed previously and they needed to, you know, the way they would induct people, they needed people who could show up and be responsible. Cause there are plenty of people that got hired with me who, you know, didn't last a year. Well, I can name them. Sure. The great Jared Levin was, uh, Jer- I mean, <laughs> a legend in the, uh, I don't want to get too local with our references, but he was a, uh, you're probably better off in describing him. Just a uh, a character. Yeah. So what was great about Jared was Jared had this ability to seem like he never quite knew where he was ever. Like he always had this. Oh man, I don't even know. <laughs> and yet he'd be the person like checking IDs. And I remember one time I was finishing up one night, and uh, Tommy, the talent coordinator, was in the cover booth. And he was, he he would he would talk to me for, you know, a long time over the course of the night. He'd sort of drop little pieces of information about his experience working there and how he saw people. And uh, he told me one time, he was like, "Hey man, I'm not perfect. I hired Jared Levin." And then he just started cackling and then disappeared into the darkness of the cover booth, like he out of the light. I it mean, felt like I was in a weird play. I just liked it when he would put the names up on the marquee. He would butcher people's names, like Gerard uh, Carmichael, who was like, is a big comic. But this is right when he had the first HBO special, so mm-hmm. you'd think he'd spell his name right. And yeah, he like, might look it up, but you you, you got to realize that he has never paid his phone bill on time and might not even at the time have had a phone. Yeah, and like it was just, I think he put up Jared Amical, and I was like, who's huh? that? Is that a new <laughs> uh, paid regular? And uh, I couldn't find a C, so I had to improvise. <laughs> but that's what I think makes the store what it is, is that someone like him could get, I mean, back then get hired and just have this uh, almost Spicoli-like energy, you know, it, it did make it fun, but there were times like I think I think Jared went missing for a few days, and it turns out he had like run away with this girl he was seeing, and then kind of had to hitchhike his way back. And we, <laughs> it was just one of those, um, it's one of those moments that can't happen at the comedy store 
in this time because oh, assu- you know assu- you know assuming that things are open, you know they're they have so much to be more wary of. Everyone has so many more responsibilities that they have to take care of, and it's not really that many. It's like if you have if you have functioning brain cells, you could do it. Yeah, but it is a little stressful, and it does require juggling a couple plates once in a while. Yeah, I don't know if he and I love him. Uh, he, he's been on this podcast, one of the first guests. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was the the guy that should have been in charge of checking IDs, because <laughs> there were a few times that uh, younger people were let into the facility that sure. probably should not have been. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, but he's one of those people that I I think is smarter than he lets on. Because I, I had talked to him a couple times, and he um, he would occasionally let slip some nuggets of information that sounded much more coherent than other ones. Oh, absolutely. So I, I have a feeling he veers more on the side of genius as opposed to complete dunderhead. Uh, I don't know if I agree with the... Uh, he's in the middle. Let's just say he's in the middle. <laughs> uh, now let's get back to you. Uh, okay. Because I'm always a fan of people who put out albums, specials. Uh, I put out one poor one uh, many years ago on iTunes. It's, oh, Yeah. You know, I like the material on it, but I was so uh, nervous and, and uh, I don't want to say naive. I, I literally had the recorder facing the wrong way. Uh, you know, the audience wasn't mic, so you heard me perfectly. But, but you everyone heard... else seems muffled. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, what? Uh, how did you put your special together? Because uh, you're you're a very um, cerebral comic, so I'll assume it was and scripted's the wrong word. But it was very like I'm doing this chunk here and then this. How, how did you put it together? I I am pretty meticulous about put I, and I was about putting it together. I I you know it's funny you mention that because I had tried to make an album a few years ago and it didn't go the way I wanted it to and I had to kind of scrap it. Why? What went wrong in your eyes? Well, what it sounded good. It sounded like you were there. And I, what I tried to do was I tried to create a 45 to 50 minute album from four feature sets down in La Jolla at the comedy store there. And I, and I was lucky to get a lot of love there. And I had a lot of wonderful shows there and the show was good. It's, uh, the shows were just not, um, they were not packed. Right. Uh, and when that place is not packed, sometimes it sounds a little cavernous cause it's kind of one big yeah. warehouse shaped room. Yeah. It's a very, the ceiling's uh, a little high. And you've got a bar in the back that's not really soundproofed off of the showroom. So yeah, it, not much of a partition. You can hear the clinking. And I'm not even a, a big opponent of that, because I remember listening to a Bill Burr album. I think it's called uh, Emotionally Unavailable, where you hear like the cash register and it's and it feels like a, a cash register from 1973, just like <laughs> like they got all these you know push <laughs> buttons and it's eh, 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 with the receipt. But there, the person who helped me with the sound did a fantastic job. He's done, helped Nick Youssef with a couple of his albums, and he's done a fantastic job. And he did a great job with mine. It's just the way it came out as a whole. Just it it didn't have that energy that I wanted it right. to. And I figured, okay, maybe I need to try a smaller room. I need to do this all in one go. I need to do, you know, 45 to an hour and edit that together so there's some cohesion. 
Hopefully I can do it more than one time. And I got a couple of those things. I only got to do it in one go. I only got one time to do it. Really? So it's a it's a true one, not to steal Hinchcliffe's special's name, it's a true one shot. Yeah, it's, it's from one show. It's not okay. from two to four shows like a lot of comedy specials right. are shot. And it's just, you know, that was the nature of my parameters. I only got one night at this venue, so I had to make the most of it. And we nearly sold it out, which was great. I had, a, you know, really great energy. I had a... Uh, a fantastic host in, um, you know, fellow comedian and my girlfriend, Anna Valenzuela, hosting it. She did a fantastic job riling the crowd up. Uh, my friend Luke Schwartz did a great job uh, doing a set on the show as well. And so there was just good energy all around. And I did it in a, a venue that was smaller than it was. It sat maybe like 65, 70 people. Where was it? The the setup in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, it's a great independent venue in San Francisco, and it's kind of you know tucked behind this bar downstairs, and it's a really and they had it really well mic'd for comedy, so that helped a lot as well. And I also had um, you know my friend Kyle Clark help uh, master it and you know edit little snippets stuff that I'm not quite as good at. And you know he started this indie label, Radland Records, and he helped make the publishing of this album, the, you know, putting it out into the ether, uh, much easier for me. So I'm, I had help. Right. Oh yeah. And I could not have done this all on my own to the, the degree of excellence that it sounds like now. And were you pleased with the final, uh, you know, the final edit, I guess the final product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I what I love about the, my album is it sounds like you're there and I love albums and specials where it feels like you're there. You know, there's, there's camera techniques that certain directors use. Like, um, again, to mention Bill Burr again, there's a couple of his specials where most of the camera work is on him. There's no camera work focusing in on the audience. And sometimes that's fun. There's specials I like about that, that have that technique, but the ones that are, focusing in on the performer feel more like a, it feels like you're in the audience watching the show. And, you know, audio wise, you know, there were multiple mics that got, you know, a very full sound. So I really appreciate that. And where can people uh, buy this? I know I mentioned uh, the usual suspects, Apple, uh, iTunes and Spotify. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they can get it anywhere they get their albums. So they can get on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Tidal, YouTube. You can even get it on places like Google Play, or um, you can, you know, I said YouTube. You can listen to it on YouTube. There's there's so many places you can get it. Uh, and if you find a place that you like getting your albums and it's not there, uh, message me, and I'll figure out a way to get it there. And it's called Dandy Man. Dandy Man, yes. With, uh, of course, artwork by another L.A. legend, uh, Ed Greer. Yeah, hilarious comedian, fantastic artist. Uh, Ed Greer made this uh, album uh, artwork, and I actually had him do it for the album that I tried to record in 2017. Right. But um, I love the artwork so much that I it felt it felt almost rude to not try to find a way to use it for this incarnation. It's really good. Thank you. Uh, he did a really great job, and this uh, this guy named Richard Eden out of uh, Canada. Uh, did the lettering, okay, uh, and did a really did a fantastic job. 
And like, so how did you, because I'm always curious on specials, why did they put this? When you mapped it out, did you like sit down with three by five cards and go, I want to talk about this here, this there, and then finish with this? Um, yeah, I mean, I have, you know, all, I would have all these little snippets of paper that had my set list and I just kind of found, I, I tried switching things around for sure, but there's definitely certain bits that are a little bit more introductory right? that made more sense going at the beginning. And there's ones that are, that feel more like closers. Right. Um, and so that kind of naturally moved things in a certain direction. There's also some rearranging that I did so that I could, you know, put together certain callbacks that if you listen to the album in sequence, there's like three or four callbacks throughout the hour, which I, which I always liked as well. So I, yeah, I think there was definitely, um, some thought into like, okay, this feels like a little bit of a cleaner bit. So it makes sense to put this early. Right. I feel I wanted to kind of ramp up as far as the, any filth or, uh, objectionable topics, um, you know, over the course of this of the album. Do you have? I mean, you're so clean cut. I mean, this has a compliment. Oh, thank like, you. Appreciate it's it. It's not like I'm not like roast battling. <laughs> uh, but like, do you have dirty bits? Um. Yeah. I mean, I've had to listen to the album many times to, uh, you know, as I've you know sort of submitted the album to different places. To and I've had to really think about okay, what is dirty about this album, if anything? Right. And there's some bits that are completely clean, which is which is great. And I am in the process of putting together a radio-friendly version of the album uh, for people with kids and families who feel uncomfortable with that kind of sure. stuff. Sure. But there is the occasional, you know, uh, swear word. You know, I, I say shit, I say fuck in it. I really? Yeah. Um, and it's not a lot. Right. It's, I could probably count on two hands the number of swear words in in the album. It is ex, it is marked as explicit, I believe, because um, there is a little bit of that. But the radio friendly version will not have that. And um, and there, are, there, I also make references to incest, and I make references to um, I make a lot. I mean, there's a lot of you know s- sexual in nature content. I am talking about things that are uncomfortable to talk about. But um, I have this uh, this thing about me called, I call it like politician face. Right, right. Where if I say something with a smile, people will not only believe me, but they will somehow not really take a lot of offense to it. Sure. So I have this, um, I've been able to charm my way out of offending a lot of people. Right. Which is a skill that I I didn't ask for, but I, I just kind of I kind of got it. Which and I'm grateful for it because I, I feel like some of the things I've talked about uh, might not fly with other comedians. Well, like I see you have uh, it's toward the end dating with voices. Is that like past dating uh, situations you've had? Yeah, it's an amalgamation of different dating experiences and how I the premise is that I wish I had the the impressions and the the characters that I do when I was starting to date because I feel like they would have helped me. They would have they would have aided my confidence building. And is it weird to like I always ran into uh, problems uh, when I would you know have a girlfriend who's a comic 
and mm. it was awesome. The great Anna Valenzuela roast yeah. battle season two. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, you know my thoughts on roast battle, but that's <laughs> that's seven other podcasts. Uh, <laughs> but Anna's a very funny comic. Yeah, like, uh, is it weird at all for you to do material about maybe you know women before Anna? Like, because I've had girlfriends be like, "What are you talking about that for?" I'm like, "Well, it's part of my life. It's it's not that I'm thinking about them, but it's right." Like you yeah, de-virginize me, so I have to talk about her. Yeah, it's not a, yeah, it's not wishful thinking. Yeah, it's it's just being honest. And and what's nice is that Anna and I are, are both grown ups about that kind of thing. And you know, she has plenty of bits about me, and I have, you know, plenty of bits that are about her. And I, these dating with voices stories are less about her and more about my my dating experiences as a younger man. So I'm. Yeah, I'm not, you know, there was never really a worry about, you know, if something I said was really going to bother her. I, if I felt something was really that heinous, I would run it by her. And, right. and she's run ideas by me. And <laughs> uh, sometimes I, the first time I hear about it is while she's on stage. And I'll be like, okay, well, it's good to know that that's, <laughs> that's an angle. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, at a certain point, it's all jokes. It's not, um, sure. you know, whether it's a, a tweet or a, or a joke written for stage. Um, I, I don't know. It's, there's so many things that are more on my mind as like sure. problems to think about that, oh, you especially know, today. you know, whether or not I'm the butt of a joke, it doesn't, it feels small. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's the pandemic. You got, you know, yeah, there's people, there's people fighting just to feel like they have an, uh, equal footing in this world. And it's just like, not a, <laughs> A jo- if if someone's really griping about a joke, what a charmed life they lead. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's it's a wacky time in comedy right now. It, you know. it sure is. It, I mean, I don't know. It 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 feels like it it waxes and wanes, but it never feels like it's not a wacky time to be a comedian. Today, just this environment. I mean, the pandemic's thrown a monkey wrench into like thousands of comics not being able to perform, and and so there's that. Not in the way they used to. Yeah, I mean, I know the other night at the comedy store, they had a, uh, it was kind of cool, it was like watching a comic in a fishbowl, the comic was in the OR. Oh, through the window? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw a couple pictures of that. And it was like, Jamar was the only one who did well, I mean, because he's Jamar, Uh and they asked me to go on. I'm like, no thanks, man. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm good. And, you yeah. Know. What What was your? Uh, did you have some? Did you have a hang up about it or some uh, apprehension about it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I need to be able to. In- it was. I need to interact with a crowd. Like, you know, I I'm very uh, improvisational. I guess you'd say. You You know You know how to connect with the crowd. Most of the time, sometimes it doesn't happen when you're doing a joke about rat and the crowd is in their twenties. Well, uh, now now that they're in these uh, Geico commercials, they've uh, they've had some sort of resurgence. People know the reference at least. I'm a little upset I wasn't the dad in the commercial, but uh, <laughs> you know, could help daddy out. Uh, <laughs> Maybe they'll reinvigorate it again. I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, I gotta think that there was some sort of like. Uh, even though you weren't in, in the commercial, there's got to be some sort of redemption it is. that you felt within you Everyone seeing that. Everyone teases me about liking Rat, and, uh, you know, it's like, 
you know, you had to be in the 80s to appreciate them. Uh, but uh, my apprehension was, uh, like, I went in the OR to watch Jamar and said, I want to see how it... I, I was thinking of going up. Uh-huh. Um, I want to see how Jamar's, like, what he hears. And, like, you heard nothing from the audience. So, like... Right. He would do this great joke and... You know, Jamar's pretty edgy. Uh, and, yes. Uh, he was doing some, like, you know, current news jokes. I'll just say that. And, sure. Uh, you you heard nothing in the OR. And right. I, I can't. I need to hear something. Yeah, there are. I've done a couple online shows over Zoom and other platforms, and it is it is doable. I You know, it's not, like, impossible, but there is, you know, a little bit of, it feels like methadone compared to heroin. Yeah, it's like it's gonna get you through sometimes, but it um, it's it, it doesn't match the real thing. Yeah, I mean, when I think the first month of the pandemic, uh, I said, "Well, I'll do some Instagram live shows." You know, it'll just be like an hour of stand up that you know you can't really do an hour in L.A. anywhere that I'm aware. And uh, I, I don't know. After the third one, I'm like, "This is brutal." Like, yeah, like, it's hard to know. It's hard to build rhythm because. You know, it's 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 this dance between us and the audience. Yeah. You know, we're doing most of the talking, but they have a biological response that we I don't I wouldn't say depend on, but it really helps guide the course of the show. Yeah, I mean, hearing I, that laughter, I need to hear something. Mm-hmm. Uh, a glass clanking would be welcome on a Zoom show. Uh, sure. But some don't. Some are just so locked into their act and. You know, they just can do an hour on Zoom and or Instagram Live and enjoy it. And I'm yeah, like, oh, this is this is bad. And these were my own shows. You know? Yeah, the um, yeah. Part of me wishes I could have seen. We could have seen like Brody Stevens try to handle this because I feel like he's one of the few people that would be able to translate his experience because he would do Periscope all the time and he would do Instagram Live so well that I think he would be the one comic that would sort of prove that there's an exception to the rule of like what you can do with a, a stand-up show. Yeah, I mean, he's one, definitely one of those ones that wouldn't need to hear a, a noise. Like he could hit, Holtzman's another one. Who, yeah, uh, he'd be too busy, uh, Brody would be too busy drumming yeah. and practicing his pitching form <laughs> and, you know, antagonizing a viewer just for like a comment that they left. Um, or just, you know, just describing some injustice that happened at the Starbucks in, you know, Valley Village. <laughs> yeah, talking about some obscure middle reliever on the Pittsburgh Pirates <laughs> in the 70s. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sad that he wasn't around for this just because, uh, you know, I think this was set up for him to be one of the few to succeed at zoom and right and online stuff and yeah uh, it would be interesting to see but i'm i th- i think there is some invention that is coming out of this and i think i've heard there's some places that are doing it in such a way where you can hear the audience and you can get that you know that really um you can get that feeling but it's um it's definitely not ubiquitous the way you know comedy clubs and comedy venues live were feeling where do you see comedy? Uh, let's say the pandemic ends in I don't know September. I mean, I I, I personally don't see it coming back till twenty twenty one. Yeah, like, neither do I. I I, I honestly just it's, crazy to, for me to like say that. 
yeah, it is it is hard to imagine that amount of time gone without doing stand up in the way that we were, we were used to. I have noticed that there have there've been a lot of people sort of moving their creative energy to either writing scripts that will hopefully sell or um, creating uh, YouTube videos and Instagram live videos and uh, TikTok videos. So I think people are learning how to like edit better uh, so that they can try to, you know, just be creative in a different medium. But it is, um, and they also have to do a lot of this stuff on their own because people, you know, we can't interact with each other the way we used to. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think when this is over, you'll see who worked and who didn't. Like, yeah, and I think a lot of people who don't have that ability are, you know, taking this time to just go be a person in the world and you know figure out what, what they have to offer, as just a person, not a not as a com- comedian or necessarily even as a creative person. Just like, wh- how can I be of service? This is something I've been thinking about. How can I be of service during this time when I can't? do comedy the same way I did. I'm so grateful I get to release this album so that people can hear something of mine that is well-produced and well-thought-out. But, you know, for the rest of this time, you know, maybe my job as a comedian just naturally has to diminish a little bit in the name of some greater calling, even if it's temporary. I hope it is temporary. Uh, Yeah, as do I, man. But I don't know... uh... Like, I guess it won't be full bore return till there's a vaccine, and then even then, and people has so, to get it. And people have to take that vaccine. Yeah, so that's uh, it, look, yeah. Safe. Building that safety and security uh, on a community level is going to take some time. I mean, looking back, like I think the night before the the official lockdown, I was at a Kiss concert, and oh, really? Uh, you know, it's 20,000 people. Like, wow. I, I kind of look back and go, oh, maybe that wasn't the smartest uh, idea. Uh, yeah, you can't know until, you know, look, hindsight's twenty twenty with that kind of stuff. You know, I was performing in a, I was doing a weekend in a comedy club the, the weekend before things really shut down. And was there like a, because uh, even like Paul Stanley, the singer, was kind of doing these weird coronavirus jokes. Like, hey, there's a virus in here. We better call out Doctor Love, and then they would. That's one of their songs, right? So, yeah. I don't know. If this is the time and place for that uh, song <laughs> intro, but uh, <laughs> like, wh- what was the vibe like the week before this? Like, was there an apprehension in the audience of uh, should we be here? I was definitely wary about shaking people's hands after the show, but right. a lot of people were kind of like di- had weren't thinking about that, and so I ended up shaking quite a few hands that night, and I just. I kind of just started like, oh, maybe I need to just wash my hands more. So I, I, I built that habit right. pretty soon, pretty quickly. Um, the headliner was definitely like doing a lot of elbow bumps and a lot of like fist bumps to, you know, you know, because we're all, you know, these we're, we're wary travelers. We're vagabonds in a way. <laughs> so there's you know, we're just exposed to a lot more people on a given week based on our line of right. work. I mean, I'm such a hugger. Like, mm-hmm. I, I hug strangers all the time, not in the last four months, but like. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to connect with someone that way. It's just, um, we need to, it's just in the name of community, we need to figure out how to um, be around each other and be mindful of other people's 
issues in addition to our own. Yeah, because I think some people are, are more, uh, I don't want to say paranoid, but more cautious. Uh, some aren't. Uh, I certainly have been. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, I don't want to be like that. I'm in the middle, I guess. Like, you know, I don't want to think I'm so uh, freewheeling like that one NBA player who was joking around and said, oh, I'm going to touch all these dirty mics. And he touched them all. Oh, uh, uh, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. And he got it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then there's others who, like, are scared to leave the house. And mm. I, I get it. Like, you know, in West Hollywood, where I live, is it's a 1.9 mile area uh, with, like, like hundreds of it's it's a very uh dense city so mm -hmm. you know and there's bars down the street that are pretty much operational half the people aren't wearing masks it's like are you guys not reading what's going on yeah i think i think people still haven't quite gotten that message about you know how insidious this virus can be and i don't mean to say that that way to scare people but it's just, you know, I think everyone's got to educate themselves. And I think that's, this has been a great time for that. You know, I, you know, this has been a great time for people to take some time and read up on stuff that they might not know about, you yeah, know, I mean, and, and get, and get as many opinions as you want. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, consider your sources for sure. Cause you know, I've definitely read some things that sound scandalous and then I read it and it was like, should I be trusting a website that's like .xxx? It's like, <laughs> yeah, dot, yeah. you know, is that, is, the, is that a scholarly, is that a primary source? Uh, it doesn't quite feel like it. Well, I mean, there's just, I liken it, uh, I think it's very similar to when like AIDS first started, you know, happening. It was labeled a gay disease because it was just in bathhouses and in certain mm -hmm. cities. And, and, then, uh, and, then, and then we realized it was kind of uh, available to anyone yeah, if, like they, a, if they weren't careful. I think a bisexual man slept with an infected gay man, and then the bisexual guy gets it. He then sleeps with a straight woman. Mm -hmm. She gets it. And then she sleeps with a straight man, and it's like, oh. I really think it's like that at this point. Like, you know, when it first came out, it was like older people get it, which I was like, oh, man, I'm 50. Like, it's, then, some, it's something to consider, for sure. It was like younger people. I think there was like a six... It was either a six-day-old or a six-week-old baby died from it. And they're like, oh, they can get it too. And still people are like... Well, you know, it also affects people differently because I think there's... From what I've read, there's, you know, it's not, there's not just really one strain of this. Right. You know, depending on where it cultured, uh, depending on what continent it cultured on, it's or, or region of the world, it's going to affect people differently. And it also affects people differently based on their age. Some people have had symptoms for weeks on end. Yeah. And some people, they felt kind of rough for like four or five days, like they had the flu, and then they're good. Or some people don't notice, don't notice any symptoms at all. And that is really frustrating. And I hope it encourages, our, it encourages the public, you know, the people of the world, to understand that there might be nuance to this virus. Right. And I think, I don't think we are bred here in America to uh, really accept or be aware of nuance. I think we see things as like, it's one way or the other. It's my way or the highway. And fuck you if you don't agree with me. Yeah. I mean, it's even on people wearing masks. It's, you know, I've seen fights in this neighborhood, particularly like 
Uh, where like the grocery store? Yeah, like Sprouts. Sure. I, I'm not plugging Sprouts to my sponsor. <laughs> uh, I don't. It doesn't sound like you're plugging them. <laughs> hey, if you want Corona, go. Uh, Violence breaking out. <laughs> yeah, you, you really want to see a good fist fight in the produce section? But like I've seen like aggressive behavior of, you know, hey, wear a fucking mask, asshole, and mm-hmm. and like I don't think the person not wearing a mask was doing it to like flaunt their freedom of uh expression but uh some people like masks don't help so i'm not gonna wear one and then you've got people who really believe they do and and so it's just all they're still not a definitive you know someone told me the other day because they had my mask on and it's up under the glasses like we still come in through your ears what are you going to do now wear earmuffs i'm like well i'm gonna wear a mask yeah it's I don't think there's like, I don't think there's really a perfect system to combat this, but I think it's what I think people are saying when people say like, Hey, wear a mask, please. They're just trying, it feels like they're just trying to encourage like a little bit of compassion and a little bit of empathy for the people around us. Right. And I think, I think right now America's really coming at this reckoning between the idea of individualism and collectivism. You know, do I think about just me or do I think about my neighbor as well? And it sounds so simple to like, it's simple to make it in this binary, but that seems to be this real big, um, this boundary that feels uh, uncrossable for people. Yeah, I mean, even little things like poolside here, uh you know, there's some neighbors who are like inviting their friends over and mm-hmm. like ha- having basically full on pool parties. And I'm not like a pool Nazi, but it's like, I don't know these people. Like, you don't know where they've been. I'm pretty sure you don't have it, like in terms of my neighbor. But I don't know if your buddy Rick, like, like I hate to act like that, but you know. I, yeah, it's, I, w- I was looking at this article not too long ago about how the conversation around. COVID should be very similar to the way that we talk about sex with our, with prospective sexual partners. Right. So it's like, Hey, I really like you, but I, I honestly can't say for certain where you've been. So I wanted to see, have you gotten tested recently? Do you know for sure that you're healthy? You know, who have you been around recently? Are they healthy sexually? You know, what, what is there? And those questions are, eerily similar to pretty reasonable questions that we can ask people when it comes to COVID. Oh, yeah. It's like when you uh, contacted me about coming on, I'm like, well, dude, I don't do it on Zoom or Skype, but I'm healthy. Like, I sanitize the mics. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, I, but it, it was like we were about to have sex or something. Like, uh, Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, well, it's like, hey, if I'm going to come over, this place, your place better be cleaned up, and you better be clean, too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, I can't vouch for my couch. <laughs> that couch should have its own podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm like that with anyone. Like, uh, right. You know, I reached out to this actress from the movie Showgirls that I'm, you know, it's like a guilty pleasure movie of mine. And okay. Uh, and I was just like, hey, I know you don't know me. I, I'm sure your uh, bucket list doesn't include going on some guy's podcast during a pandemic, but I'd love <laughs> to have you on to talk about the movie. And uh, she's like, yeah, I'll, just, you know, when this dies down and yeah, like even Pat Oswald, I reached out to 
And he's like, yeah, oh, come on. Just, you're clean, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just whenever you can. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, I feel like I'm giving them like my STD test. And go, Mr. Oswald, I'd love to have you on just to talk about your career. Sure. I'm clean. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but because like the way I do this podcast is face to face and, you know, it, it's been weird to like approach people doing it going hey you have to come to me and like they initially kind of like button up and like oh dude like you don't do zoom yeah and i mean i you know i i had those concerns myself and yeah i'm you know i'm wearing a mask inside and i'm i'm distance from you and that's you know that's how i've chosen that's that's my that's that's my line that i've i've made and uh and you know I'm, i'm grateful i get to i get to see you and it's um yeah, you know, I, I did a I did a podcast that was like up on a rooftop, and I was like, okay, well, that was, you know, I was willing to do it on a roof because you know we were outside, and the chances of transmitting it outside are way less, you know. But I was also distanced, and I was also, you know, you know, we were dealing with sanitized mics, so it's like, I think people have where it comes to those like fine, you know, granular parts of the argument, everyone's got a, you know, that's their walk with God. Yeah, I mean, this is the new normal, and like, yeah, until until we can come up with some sort of you know consistency with how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of our neighbors, you know, this is what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm more interested to see how uh, sporting events and uh, like music shows, like, not to plug Rat, but uh, <laughs> September. I think it's karma because I believe Rat September 19th at the Palladium might be the first show that they're like all right let's see how it goes like yeah i mean it's it's hard because like how do you you know how do you enforce that people stay distance from each other in a crowd at a music show like that i've been to the palladium there's no there's no seats yeah that's you just so, you just stand and enjoy the show it'll be because I, I who did i see? i mean i've seen a lot of shows there uh I guess you can limit the limit the number of people that can be in there. Yeah, and how do you enforce? Like, you're gonna have like a roving security squadron going, "Hey, you're you need to get over a foot." Like, I once the lights go down, I I just don't see that as uh, doable. But uh, mm-hmm. and you know, hockey right now is is the only sport that's uh, in an actual well NBA, but uh, hockey's in a bubble. Like, no one leaves, no one comes in or out. And I think they've had so, their playoffs have started, and mm-hmm. uh, they've had seventy two hundred COVID tests and not one uh, positive. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, positive. So uh, yeah, I, I I can't remember if soccer is doing this the their bubble as strict as the NHL has, but I think they've had been able to have some success with the MLS and the European leagues right. because they're doing it all in one location. They're doing it all in Orlando. And yeah, I, I know. It, where where they do it in Canada? They're doing like one in uh, like Winnipeg. Uh, is it Winnipeg? There's one in Edmonton. Edmonton, uh, that's which it. Which is where there's a game right now on TV uh, with the sound down uh, for you <laughs> uh, non-video freaks. Uh, <laughs> but there's no. Uh, they I like the way they've done it though because they've tarped off the. You don't necessarily realize that there's no crowd. Uh, you know, yeah, like they, they, put, they, they put ads or they put, yeah. you know, names and decals. They've so, made it busy. Yes. Whereas and, baseball, it's just, you. to me anyway, and I know they put the fake cardboard things up. That's very freaky to me. 
Uh, but to me, I, I notice, oh, there's no crowd. Yeah, I actually kind of like watching soccer because uh, that's the sport that I follow the most right. uh, without the crowd because, you know, for one, you know, there was a... <laughs> it kind of roots out the, you know, the racist, you know, neo-right-wing uh, organizations that recruit, you know, you know, people who come to soccer games who maybe don't have a lot going on for them and don't have much direction and are already into tribalism. Uh, but <laughs> there's... So it kind of roots out that problem, which is kind of nice. But I mean, for all, for the ninety eight percent that are just you know dutiful, you know, awesome fans, sure, I'm sure I'm sure they miss being at the game. But I it kind of feels like they're on the training ground, right? And so there's a little bit of a relaxed. There's still tension, but there's a little bit more of a relaxed vibe to some of these players, so they can like move more fluidly, and you know they it feels like I'm I'm getting a sneak peek at practice. I mean, I'm, I kind of like it with no crowd. Like, I mean, hockey's my soccer. Yeah. So, like today there was a game. Uh, I think it was the Islanders and the Panthers, and there was a like a big fight, like a five on five fight. And oh wow, I'm sure the NHL's not happy, but you know they mic the boards, so you know you hear the checks and the puck hitting the That's glass. Fine. So you heard everything the players were saying to each other. Wow. Which was... <laughs> yeah, and they weren't muffled by the rest of the crowd. No, yeah, it was like, F you, Frank. You, like, you heard them calling them their names. And That's like, great. You know, you bastard, you blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because they're peers. They know each other. Yes, yeah, so it was kind of like... And in the UFC, which, uh, you know, I uh, watch with no crowd, you can hear the instructions from the corner. Uh, yeah, I gotta think that. I wonder if that's a, a tactical change that's had to happen with like any form of a uh, martial arts or boxing, where it's like, do they have to speak more coded language? Yeah, I think they do because uh, I know in one fight, uh, Rogan said uh, he was giving like his critiques, and he actually does MMA on a very high level. So when he critiques, it's like a pretty good critique. And yeah. the fighter changed up whatever he was doing because he heard Joe. <laughs> he didn't even hear his corner. He heard Joe say something about a, a position, right. and he switched so he could get to what Joe was. It was like, oh wow, this is this is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, Joe's like un- unintentionally coaching. Yeah. these guys as they as they fight each other. So I mean, it's I mean, yeah, the announcers for uh, the Premier League could say that they would say sometimes the players can hear them. Yeah, because sometimes they'd be talking about the coaches like, "Oh, he's not happy with that" or something like that, or is like, you know, he, "He, that will be a topic of conversation in the dressing room." And it's a, uh, and like, you could kind of see these coaches just like, yeah. "Dude, can you guys shut up? <laughs> can you quit vamping? Lose our job." <laughs> have you ever seen the Stallone movie Victory? No, I have not seen Victory. I would look into it. Like, okay. It's a soccer movie. Oh, it's a soccer movie. Soccer movies are really hit and miss. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're very much like hockey. Like Yeah, some of them are really great, and some of them are... Um, I feel like the ones that are really great, like they understand very clearly that the soccer part is not going to be done that well. Well, in this... Uh, and, you know, you don't strike me as a Stallone guy. I don't know why I say that, because I don't know. <laughs> it's just I think you're too cerebral to... Enjoy his brand of filmmaking. I mean, I, I I haven't I haven't seen every Rocky movie, but I I enjoyed I, I I like to believe that everyone has their 
their purpose when it comes if they're an entertainer like there's right. an i feel like there is an avenue for everyone they just got to figure out what that is and sometimes you have to create a new industry for that to for that to work for someone and yeah i mean you know, i think he has his purpose in the pantheon of entertainment and he you know, he's obviously talented and smart enough to have figured out how to have the longevity that he's had oh yeah i'm a fa- i'm a fan of anyone who makes money in this business even if i don't like what they do like yeah like, you know when your films make over a billion dollars like I, I i'm not gonna say stop or my mom will shoot it's a great movie but like it made money for you yeah it's like you know there there had to be some sort of like know-how and even if it's not his idea it mean you know it means that he was involved with a group of people that knew what they were doing well what i liked about victory was they actually in terms of the soccer play was pele was uh, one of the stars of it, and oh, P- Pele's in it. Okay, cool. Did I? Is it Pele or Pele or uh, Pele? I always call him Pele. Yeah, I, I don't. I honest. I mean, I haven't spoken to the guy, so I don't know if I'm not gonna say with certainty. But I used to say Pele a lot, and then I heard someone say Pele, so I, I started saying Pele. So I'm, I'm not, you know, right. go, you know, do, do what makes you happy. I think you would like the movie just because they used actual soccer players. Oh, that's like, cool. Uh, like it, the stars of that era. I think it came out in 1980. And, uh, okay. It's a relative uh, true story about a German prison team. Oh, cool. Uh, facing the all-stars, like the German all-stars. And they have a chance to escape. Oh, wow. Because the, the only reason they agreed to the game was so they could build a tunnel during like halftime and leave. <laughs> and... So they start winning, and, mm. they, and then there's a divide in the team of, hey, let's stay and beat them. And then some guys are like, fuck that, let's get out of here. Uh, right, right. So it, that's cool. It, yeah, I mean, it's Mike, Michael Caine's in it, so there's is some degree of like acting prowess, decent actors. Uh, yeah, it's I'll have to check that out for sure. Because I that's the you know, it, and I I would think soccer and hockey are very similar from the standpoint of there's very few hockey movies uh, in that I can't recall outside of Victory. Uh, you know, I know there's the one Rodney Dangerfield movie with the kid where he was a soccer coach. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, there. I mean, there's a few. There's Bend It Like Beckham, and there's The Big Green, which are two movies that I, I enjoyed. And what's that? I know Bend It Like Beckham. What's the other one about? The Big Green was like a kid's movie. So I think... Um, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but like the the redheaded guy from the Sandlot. Okay. I think he played one of the kids in the movie. He was like the goalie, and um, yeah, it was just like a a town that didn't have a lot going for it. And this, um, they started this like soccer team, and it's kind of like, and they ended up being kind of good. Right. Um, but it was like it was like a fun '90s kids movie, and then um, there was a so- there was one I think called like Soccer Dog, which is not good. <laughs> There was one that um, that Will Ferrell was in that I didn't see, and I I heard was not very good. I was kind of deterred. There's also like Shaolin Soccer, which is like just insanity. It's one right. of those Stephen Chow movies. Oh, okay. So if you like um, Kung Fu Hustle, you might like this as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I would think it's a tough sell to because uh, it's uh, soccer and hockey in it in America. It, they're just they're not as popular as a football or baseball or basketball, and it bothers me because like there's so many great soccer players that are unknown in America. Yeah, it. I the thing is, it's always growing, both on the men's and the women's level. Right. And the fact that the women, the women's American team is 
has such undeniable prowess in on the world level right only shows that this stuff is going to grow and it's it's not necessarily growing amongst people our age but it's growing amongst a generation or two below us right you know people who are who are watching it as kids now and are going to be inspired to either just follow it or play it themselves like it bothers me that like most casual soccer fans think that there's David Beckham and then that's it it's like, no there's like yeah, there's, like, ten, there's 10 other guys on the field on his team and then yeah. 11 more on the other team. It's kind of like with America, it's like you talk hockey, the only name you really hear is Wayne Gretzky. Right. Which rightfully so. He's like, that guy was amazing. But no, there's like Mark Messier, this guy. And that. Yeah, so. there, there's, I mean, and there's and there's guys today, I mean, like the, my roommate will hate that I mentioned Sidney Crosby because she's a Flyers fan, but like she, <laughs> uh, but like there's there's so many great, players that it's um i think what everyone who is not familiar with the sport uh i would recommend they do to get into it is to find a story like one of those espn 30 for 30s right. oh, yeah. fi- find some story that they can get behind and have that be their way in you know yeah. for you know if you want to talk like, talk espn 30 for 30s like i would s- suggest like a tale of two escobars for soccer that was amazing I would suggest um, I would suggest just watching the World Cup. I mean, that's what a lot of Americans do is like they'll watch a couple games of the World Cup, they'll have a ball, and then they'll be like, okay, we'll see you in another four years. Um, but there's so many great stories, and there will be a you know once you know Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are done with their careers, I'm sure some documentary will be sure. made about them in this sort of like because you know Messi is like Picasso for soccer. Oh, he's you know. And Ronaldo, or let's make, I'll do I'll do another sports reference. I'll do a basketball reference. You know, sure. if um, you know, you'd say you could say Pelé is the Michael Jordan of soccer. Oh, absolutely. You could say I would say Cristiano Ronaldo is the LeBron James of soccer, and I would say that uh, Lionel Messi is the Steph Curry of soccer. You know, if you know, just to put it in a modern oh, t- sure. context. Oh, no, sure. Like I grew up watching indoor soccer, which to, oh really to true soccer fans is like it's like telling a true musician, yeah, I like poison. <laughs> I don't th- I don't think that's th- I I don't agree. If I'm going to be honest, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree because I think that indoor soccer is it's like um it's like a distilled or it's like a it's like a re- like a reduction of like a, a like a, a a good sauce. It's like the it's the essence of the sauce. <laughs> and you got this this really potent distillation of this beautiful game in this different environment in like a hockey rink but with you know turf yeah i loved it like they had and i remember the team uh, the la lasers oh cool and their best two players were beto and batata like it was okay like the only, <laughs> it was like fabio but like right uh, yeah yeah and the uh if I remember correctly, at the forum, the the back boards like uh, had a um, like an incline. So if you kicked the ball and it didn't go on net, it would hit the incline and kind of go back into the field of play. I okay, mean, it was a little gimmicky. Okay, but they were great players. Like yeah, uh, it's a it, it's it's a it's a really tiring sport. I played indoor in my off season growing up and we would do you know this off the wall kind of game and man we you know you get really tired because the game is only like 40 minutes right 
but you would be dead tired as if you'd played two outdoor soccer games. Yeah, I mean, it was very... Uh, and you just jump on in, you go. Yeah, it was very... Uh, the, less downtime uh, it, than there is in a big soccer uh, you know, match. It was more like, almost like hockey lacrosse-like. Yeah, a little bit, a little uh, bit. Condensed. It was like a condensed... MLS game, if that makes any sense. Well, uh, for sure, you know the the ball never goes out of bounds, right? Unless you like really sky it over, you know, over the net or over the wall. Um, so you're there's no downtime at all. And um, there's another form of indoor soccer that's uh, played on a basketball court called futsal. Have you ever heard of futsal? No. So futsal, I I recommend you look it up on YouTube. There's great uh, compilations of great futsal players. It's F U T S A L. Um, so. Futsal is played, it's a smaller-sided game. You know, I think if outdoor soccer is 11 players on each team, including the goalie. Indoor soccer might be seven players, including the goalie. Uh, futsal would be five. So there's certain changes in the rules because you're playing on a basketball court. The goalie can't throw the ball over the halfway line. They kind of got to roll it out. Right. They have a smaller box that they can handle the ball with their hands. And everyone's playing with flats. You know, they're playing, you know, they're, you know, they're playing with soccer shoes, but there's no cleats. And the ball is smaller, and it's a low-bounce ball. So if you drop it, it's not going to bounce really high up. So and when you, when, as a kid, you know, it was a pretty reasonable game because you had a lot of room as a smaller kid. But when you see adults play, the, uh, the skills that these grown men and women employ is ridiculous. It's sure. so incredible to watch. And I've seen women play really well. I think the Iranian women's futsal team is really good. And I've seen like, you know, there's, you know, mo futsal, I think, originated in Brazil. So the Portuguese and the, and the Brazilians are typically really good at it. Right. But there are these moves that you can do because of the way the friction of the ball on the court and, you know, your flats on the court work, you, you, you move differently. Sure. And there's a lot of rolling. There's a lot of like playing behind you. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, just quick movement. You know, that is, you can't see in a real, uh, you wouldn't see in an outdoor soccer. Right, right. I mean, uh, like, I like watching lacrosse. Like, my brother played lacrosse he, uh, up until recently. He played college and he. Uh, it's incredibly violent. It's incredibly violent. I think people get turned off to lacrosse because they don't know the rules. And yeah. they, you know, you see them stop the game and you're like, well, why did they stop the game? And it's like, well, he hit him in this part of the of the body and, and we, and he was holding the stick in a certain way that indicates that he, you know, it's more malicious intent. So that's why, or, you know, there's too many people on this, on this third of the, of the field. Yeah. I mean, I noticed like college lacrosse is, it's obviously pretty violent, but in the pro lacrosse league, which I don't know how they make enough money to have a pro lacrosse league. Uh, it's like, a mixture of soccer and hockey, like a, a, a little bit, bit. Yeah. A little bit of football, like in terms of like, the, the violence and the violence and the padding, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, these guys are animals. Yeah, it's it's a that's a very specific breed of human. My brother was a lacrosse goalie right. for for years, and I went to his his games through the years when he was in when he was ten through when he was you know twenty three, and I would watch him you know conduct himself in a way that you know I wouldn't see in other aspects of right. his life. You know he you know he would show this like. He showed this great leadership on the field, and um, you know, the last time I got to see him was at uh, Loyola Marymount. He, okay. uh, my brother, played for St. Mary's in, up in Northern California, and 
the way these guys would just brutalize each other and and move swiftly up and down the field was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, like when you played soccer, like you're so nice and like <laughs> soft spoken. Like I know, like when I played hockey, like a, a different Earl came out. Like, was... oh, for sure, I'm hyper competitive. Oh, I'm the most. I mean, like. I get pissed I, if I'm playing a video game. Yeah. Not, <laughs> by myself, I'll get angry. Uh, like in hockey, I was uh, probably the most aggressive form of me as a human. Mm -hmm. like, were you similar? Like, Well, what position did you play in hockey? Because I think that might inform it a little bit. Well, my shot is so hard that uh, I, I was almost a rover. Uh, so you would you didn't really have one set position? No, because like, even when, when I played... Uh, defense uh you know i would be like the fourth forward because it was like oh, you just okay. gotta set earl up for his shot okay because like i would hurt people not on you, purpose you just you had a lot of force and a lot of velocity behind the puck i, I, I yeah i mean my I, I i'm a horrible skater like i oh, okay my, my skating i started going to a coach just to see if i could get any better and he's like dude you skate like Mick Jagger walks, which is not good for ice skating. But I was like Goldberg in the Mighty Ducks. Like right. I just had this amazingly hard slap shot. Right. And and my wrist shot was harder than my slap shot, just for some weird reason. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, but you know, you, uh, I think for hockey, I'm a big player. Okay. Um, yeah, you're so a tall guy. Tall. I mean, I'm not like you know 200 pounds or whatever I am. So in that's pretty big for hockey, mm -hmm. so I could my more aggressive side would come out and be like, "All right, there's really no one on this surface who can answer to my aggressiveness. So let's amp it up a bit." Uh, like, were you like that? In so like, what what was your position in soccer? So, for the most most of my career, I played left back. I was I played defense, and I, I was left footed. So that's kind of where I was um, best suited. Right. I was pretty quick when I was little but then i grew late so and i didn't and i wasn't a beefy kid i'm still I, I still wouldn't qualify myself as a beefy guy but i i i didn't fill out until after my competitive playing days uh in high school so i was the guy whose job was to make the right forward tired because i could run i couldn't sprint the fastest but i could run the longest right so i would um I could run for ninety minutes without stopping. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a it was it was a skill that I knew I could build on because I I couldn't beat you first to the ball, but I could I could make your life difficult. And the and the right forward was usually the star of the team, is usually some guy who was you know a little bit more full of himself. And my my goal was to break his spirit. I love it. Yeah, you know I remember there were. There'd often be like guys who wore like who had like bleached blonde hair and like a headband, even though their hair wasn't that long, and they'd have like their socks in like a weird, uh, you know, pattern, or it'd be like over their knees, like a like a weirdo, <laughs> or they'd have like really small shin guards so that they wouldn't weigh them down. They'd be like way up on their shin, be like, oh, you've given me so much space right. to fuck your leg up, and they'd have like gold shoes and like I'm gonna step on these shoes. And so I'd be, I'd, I'd be marking this guy within six inches of him, right. not socially distant in the slightest. I would be, I, I wanted him to feel my hot breath on his neck the whole game. I love it. Yeah. So that was kind of my, my thing. And I could take penalty kicks. That was the other thing that I was pretty good at. 
So I, I had I had a couple very specific skills. Uh, well, you know, uh, I think so much of sports is mental warfare. Yeah, it's discipline. Uh, but it's also uh, I like I started as I got older and less willing to be more of a physical maniac. I started enjoying the mental intimidation. Uh, like if the other team had a bully. And I love going up against bullies, which is, I think, in part drew me to roast battle. Cause <laughs> yeah. You can take down a bully. Like, you can step to him, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, so in, if I saw someone being dirty with a player on my team, I wouldn't physically abuse them, but I would mentally, like, I'd get right into their space, like you said, six inches apart. And they, the whole time, were expecting, okay, he's going to slash me because I slashed his teammate. And I would never slash them. I just wanted them to think I would. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you build up a nice pattern of, like, this is how the game's going to go early on, yeah. you can really demoralize a player or encourage a player to do certain behaviors. Yeah, so like if, take a penalty on you. Yeah, so if I was marking a guy for long enough, people wouldn't pass to him. Right. And so he would, sometimes, if he was not mentally disciplined enough, he would start to break down and start playing what my dad would call emotional soccer. Right. And that's where you're like, you start making these like, <laughs> just like these kind of like whiny noises just to like try to get a, you know, a foot in on anything. And, and or if someone did pass the ball to him, I would nick it away. I just disturb the play. I didn't even have to like dispossess him because it's just disturbing the play would ruin things. And then we'd have to, everyone would have to reassess. Yeah. And, you know, if you mark someone out of a game, you know, for me, that's doing my job. Oh, Absolutely. Like you know, I, I've done my job. I've, I've reduced this team from 11 players to 10. Well, speaking of doing jobs, it's this audience's job to go and buy Dandy Man. Please do. I hope, I hope people enjoy it. Well, you're great. Thank so, you, man. Like, I, you're, I really appreciate you're it. You're one of those comics I, I think people should know more about. Um, Thank you, man. So uh, it's called Dandy Man. It's on all the usual spots. iTunes. Amazon, uh, Spotify. Yeah, wherever you get your albums. And I rarely ask you guys to buy stuff. <laughs> I really, I don't even ask you guys to buy, my, I don't have anything to buy, to be honest. But like, especially during a pandemic, I don't know Stewie's financial situation. It ain't none of my business. But a couple bucks in the till ain't gonna hurt him. Uh, and it's you get great content. You're getting about an hour, 57 yeah, it's, minutes. It's, uh, it's 51 minutes, I think. 51 minutes, there's so much garbage on TV and on the radio. This quality content. Yeah, you're, get, you're getting about an hour of joy. And so uh, I'm just asking you to, to support me by supporting my friends. Uh, Mr. Stewie, where can, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've called you that. I haven't heard that in a long time. Uh, where can people find you on social media and, and uh, direct all album sales to wherever you want them to? Oh, sure. So uh, my... My website is stuartthompsoncomedy.com. They can also find me at Stuart B. Thompson. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-B-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, But the album is available wherever they get their albums. So um, if they want access to all that stuff, they can also go to uh, linktr.ee slash Stuart Thompson. That has a bunch of links. It's a link tree. account so and uh, just follow Stuart you know we crack the algorithms on 
Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and any other site that is follower based by having more followers. Yep. Uh, and follow Anna Valenzuela as well. Yeah, I'll plug Anna. Anna V is fun on all the socials. Uh, she's uh, she's worth a follow. She uh, she tweets a lot more than I do, so uh, <laughs> you'll get you'll get some fun. Uh, you get some good jokes during this time. Well, it's weird how certain uh, social media sites fit other uh, comics sensibilities. Yeah, like, you know, I'm on TikTok, but I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't get the humor. I don't find TikTok funny at all. Uh, but it's not set up for my style, I guess. Yeah, it's like it, it it's very algorithm based and there's a lot of like uh you can find some weird stuff on there for sure, but you got you really gotta search for it. I've tried, uh, but you know, I think I'm more Instagram and, and maybe Twitter friendly. Sure. Uh, let my bitterness shine through in those <laughs> mediums. But uh, Stuart, it's great to see you. It's great to see you, Earl. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, thank you, dude. You're just you're one of the good ones. Thanks, man. It's a high compliment. I really appreciate it. Do you have a podcast? Yeah, they can listen to my friend Luke Schwartz and I on the late night podcast with Stuart and Luke. Uh, it's on uh, the places where you get your podcasts. Uh, so uh, you can follow us at the L Eight Night Show, the Late Night Show, on and Twitter Luke and Instagram. Uh, yeah, uh, all the available podcast sites. Luke Schwartz, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's um, a, it's kind of like it's kind of like a late night talk show, like Conan or something like that. If Andy Richter didn't like Conan that much, right? So I, I, I try, love it. I try I to run it on a show, and Luke interrupts me. I, Luke is uh, he reminds me of a younger version of me. Just <laughs> keeps it real. I can't wait. To, can't I wait to it. see Luke at fifty. Yeah, uh, me neither. Follow Luke Schwartz. What is Luke Schwartz at? Luke um, Schwartz comedy or it's um, at Luke does stuff on Twitter and at help 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 help. On Instagram. Another one of the uh, great uh, minds at the Comedy Store. Follow Luke Schwartz, too. Anna Valenzuela, Sir Thompson. Leave a review on all of our podcasts because that helps us crack the code uh, of whatever algorithms uh, Apple and Spotify are up to. It's just nice to interact with someone. <laughs> it's just nice to hear some feedback. Well, it's just like it takes 30 seconds like, right. to sit there and go to Stuart's podcast, hit like. Hit subscribe. Yeah, all those things. Subscribe. Hey, he's great. I love his voice. I, I mean, you're in and out in 30 seconds. Yeah. It's, it's not hard. And it, I don't think people realize, you know, how, at least on Apple, and I'm, I'll assume Spotify is the same way, like, it's all based on reviews and subscriptions. So yeah. we provide free content. It's not that much to ask. Inappropriate Earl, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And we'll see you later.